Welcome to Restoration Basics. This is the preparatory podcast. Amos is blown away. I just want you guys to know that they cued that. <laughs> it's not all... a countdown and yeah. everything. It was like five. We are the winner of three Raven Awards. Raven Awards actually predate the Dove Awards, but got canceled due to no one coming back, no one returning for the second show. <laughs> <laughs> They're getting worse. <laughs> oh, no. Our intros are the best. It, it's oh, reminiscent of Noah sending out the Raven. And yes. The, yeah. Yes. Okay. Now I get it. So <laughs> <laughs> does everyone know what the Dove Awards are? Oh, boy. I yeah. do, but <clears throat> they're like the Christian Grammys, right? Basically, are they? But also, Christians can win Grammys. So what oh, is so it really? really so we're devil dipping. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Be of the world, but not be in the world, but not of it. Be of the but world, but don't be in the, in the world. world. <laughs> double be the in the world, world, but don't win a Grammy. <laughs> uh, we got a guest by. today. He's already introduced himself because Andrew he- Smith. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Andrew Smith. Amos Johnson. And I'm Samuel Jordison. Oh, yeah, I'm Jason Ken. And I am uh, Amos Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. This one's way worse than Josh's. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, Amos, thanks for coming on the show. We are very, very glad to have you. We we have a special topic today, and we're in Second Nephi. If, you, if you're just joining us, we've been going through the Book of Mormon chapter by chapter. Sometimes we consolidate those chapters into one episode. Sometimes... Uh, one chapter can take multiple episodes, but we've made it all the way here to Second Nephi, and we're in chapter 13, which is over baptism, right? That's, as far as I know. That's what the top of my scriptures say when it says, what are you reading well, Andrew about? Well, Andrew thought we were baptism. on uh, the chapter before, so. Chapter 12. Andrew's behind. I was prepared, okay, <laughs> for chapter 12. Always be prepared. Can you tell us just a little bit about where you go to church, where, you, where you're from, what's your, what's your story? How'd you, how'd you end up in this chair right here? Uh, I was born in 1994 um, to a wonderful mother. Um, Mr. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, no, my my mother is wonderful and well. Um, <laughs> no, I grew up in the church. I, I go to Atherton Restoration Branch in the little town of Old Atherton by Buckner and it's on 24 Highway and just go over there. It's kind of a secluded little area, little town. I grew up there and it's been a wonderful place, a wonderful family and uh, people have kind of changed and there's new people that came and some people have left, but overall I've, that's where I've gone and that's where my family is and, and I, I really love it there. That's where everything's happened for me. And then, you know, as I've gotten older, I've gotten new friends and gone to all the different congregations and it's it's been uh it's been great well thanks for thanks for coming on i guess we're just gonna dive in here second nephi chapter 13 about baptism and i guess i'll ask each of you our co-hosts when were do you guys remember your baptisms sure do yep what's the biggest memory that stands out i was baptized on my birthday my 12th birthday 2006 on wednesday on wednesday night all right I remember it wasn't like super spiritual for me. I know some people have like incredibly spiritual experiences when they get baptized and it wasn't necessarily that for me. It just was something I needed to do and it, you know, it felt good doing it. But I do remember that the Bates couldn't make it because there was something going on and I was really disappointed that the Bates <laughs> didn't show up for my, uh, 
my baptism. I'll make sure to clip this out and send (laughs) it to them. (laughs) Yeah, just trying to guilt them if uh, they happen to listen. (laughs) Don't worry, they'll be there for your next one, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm just kidding. kidding. You have to get that out, too. Uh, Andrew, what do you remember most about your baptism? I was baptized on the 1st of January uh, by my uncle. and uh, Which, Which uncle? The taller one. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Audience will not know, possibly. <laughs> Unless you know my family. Joseph Smith. <laughs> what? No, but that was pretty much it. It was a it was on an evening service and I was confirmed in the same service. Um also oh, in yeah. two thousand six. Really? Yeah. I didn't Ooh, How old were you in two thousand six? Baptism bro. Eight. I mean later in two thousand six I was nine, but you were baptized before me. Yeah, I was. So you- was I. We're not to me yet, though. Jason, what do you remember most about your baptism? That means you're going to go to heaven first. I think, yep, that Wait, is what not that means. Not dead, just like... There's a cue. <laughs> yeah, there's a cue. <laughs> when Moses has had enough, it's, it'll, it'll be my turn, and then... Right, it'll be based on date of baptism. Right. The yeah. elders get mm-hmm. in first. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Oh, gosh. And so I, I don't be- like so- this, <laughs> this direction. <laughs> <laughs> so I beat you all in the queue, and uh, uh, I was baptized in September of 2004, I believe. Um, I can't actually remember the specific date that I was um, baptized. I get it confused in my mind. Either the 19th or the 8th or something like that. But what I remember most from my baptism, kind of like Amos, not really anything spiritual, but my mom made me climb back into the font because she didn't get any pictures when it actually <laughs> happened. So, so there's a few pictures of me like climbing through this window. But Did your dad baptize you? Yeah, yeah. And then I was confirmed that same day too. Um, and my dad was a priest, so he didn't confirm me. But um, yeah. That's so cool. So you were baptized when you were eight, yeah. Jason, and you were baptized when you were eight. Were you baptized when you were eight? Nope. Me neither. I was baptized when I was 10, I think. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people... I mean, it says in the Doctrine and Covenants about the age of accountability. It's also mentioned in the Book of Mormon, right? But why do you think it's eight years old? I really don't know. Because looking back, you're like, man, I knew nothing then. That's true. Like, well, I'm really glad you brought up that point that it wasn't that spiritual to you. It was just something good. You're like, okay, I need to do this. And maybe, I don't know. Be, maybe because it's almost like a, a mix between you, have, you still the innocence of the child... But you're starting to know what's right and wrong. Yeah, I, I I think I understood what I was doing and what repentance was and all that. Like I took all the classes and I felt like I understood it and I didn't feel like I took it lightly. But but at the same time, I've heard a lot of stories of people like getting baptized because you know they saw communion happening all the time and they were like, man, I, I want a snack during oh, yeah. Yeah, church. Yeah. And so they were like, Get a little no, I mean, that's a big reason why they got baptized and stuff. And I don't know when I was eight, I don't think I really had the maturity to make a choice of the magnitude that I made. I don't. And I don't think when I was 10, I knew either. Yeah. Right. Same. Even at 12, I don't think I was really fully aware of, the impact of the decision and your parents i remember you telling me this just catch us our audience up your parents made you do the like work everything out right like you had to ask um yeah i had to ask uh the pastor to that maybe that's why it took me like four extra years because i was just you know a <laughs> shy child and i just didn't want to do that but uh i asked dan Shear, i believe and uh he came over to my house and 
um, asked me like what hymns I wanted and everything like that. And it was pretty cool. So I felt nice. pretty like adult, I guess. Do you choose O Canada? No, I chose the uh, old, old path and trust and obey. That's I'm pretty sure I had the old, old path on mine. Yeah. I think I also had the spirit of God. Ooh, Mr. Big Shot over yeah, here. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> this is important. <laughs> hmm. Well, I and I'm really glad you brought up that um both you brought up that it wasn't that spiritual to you because this touches on this chapter touches on baptism, mainly on baptism, but there's some there's some aspects I want to get into baptism because I know that each of our lives kind of took a I won't say a bad turn. Um but all of us, I think, share a, a time when we were like, oh, no, this is something important, more so than it clicked when we went down into the waters and we're like, okay, now I'm baptized, you know. And even when we were baptized with fire, you know, we knew it was something good. But there's a point later in our lives when, like, no, this is something that I'm. Well, actually, like, when I, right after I was baptized, like, that was when I feel like my, everything got, like, harder almost. Like, my innocence was. I started to do things that weren't as like innocent, I guess. I don't know. Like my, maybe it's just like my age since that's like teenage years and everything like that. But it just felt like as soon as I got baptized, things got way harder. Maybe, I don't know if that's like just in my case or the age or what, but that was my experience. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm going to ask you before we dive in specifically to verses, what did you get from the, I'll toss it over to you, Amos, first since you're our guest and, and guests have the guest privileges. When you read when you read chapter thirteen, what did you really take away? And if you if you didn't take away anything special, but that's fine too. Well, I think the biggest thing I took away was just the one verse where Okay, it's seven. And now if the Lamb of God, he being holy, should have been have need to be baptized by water to fulfill all righteousness, oh, then how much more need have we being unholy to be baptized, yea, even by water. That was that was like the verse that really like caught my attention. I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Like, if God was our sole example for living righteously, righteously, then I mean, we have to follow His example. And that that verse just strikes me. I like that contrast. Like, He was so great. You need to do this as well, otherwise. Yeah, and and yeah. further on that. You said the example, but also just kind of the state of who we are as people of if Jesus is seeking this you know, remission of sins when he's perfect, then like us who are very much sinful people, we absolutely need this um, remission of sins and this covenant yeah. with God. Yeah. yeah. It's like how much more right. need we, we have to do it than he does. It's just very interesting. What caught my attention, I guess, is is not a particular verse, but just a particular theme. We've already said it. It's baptism, but it just stresses the importance of baptism that, that we have verses that say baptism is important and you need it to be saved and stuff. But this is pretty much a, an entire chapter saying baptism is very, 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 very important. And it just repeatedly says it over and over and over. And so that's just what I saw yeah. when reading it. And that goes along with what Amos script uh, I mean, verse seven says that Amos pointed out. There's there's people, good Christian people who who go to church and and their doctrine is that you don't necessarily need to be baptized. It's just a good thing to do. But this just shines light on it and really puts it in a very plain way of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is perfect, 
had to be baptized, why wouldn't we have to be baptized then? And that if we're way worse than him, if we, you know, here he didn't do any sin, here we are doing tons of sin daily. It's kind of, you, there's no way to beat around the bush. It's very obvious in this, in this situation, I think. And you know, something I guess that just crossed my mind is that, well, what do, what do we, why are we baptized? It says for remission of sins, right? Did Jesus have sins to be remitted? Obviously not. Okay, so why, why did he do that good act? Well, sometimes God asks us to do good things. Well, it actually says in here, it says he humbled himself before the Father and said, I'm going to follow your commandments. And even though he already was, I mean, it's still a symbolic measure that you have to take. And I always, uh, when I think of baptism, I always think of like, if I had my own kingdom and I was like going to keep or only going to let some people in, you know, an exclusive kingdom. And I like a club. <laughs> yeah. I almost said club instead of kingdom, but uh kingdom is, you know, more spiritual. Right. Right. Religious, right, 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 I right. right. Conclude it. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, if I was going to let people in, I would have like a certain thing, like I'd make them promise to do certain things and I'd make sure, you know, like they didn't, mess with my family or you know you know they did basic things and were nice to everybody and didn't start a bunch of problems and i mean if they didn't take that step and they didn't make those promises i'm not gonna let them in to my kingdom because clearly they have no intention of doing so like if they're not willing to make that promise then they're not they are probably wanting to do those things. So, but look, even looking and I, I really like that, but just looking at the life of Jesus when he didn't necessarily need that, like baptism, what wasn't, what was compelling him to be keeping those commandments, right? He didn't start keeping the commandments because he was baptized. It was because he already had that relationship. And so sometimes God asks us, to do good things such as he asked Jesus to do for the betterment of others. And so uh, I see that as being another reason why he was baptized along with right here, like Amos read that it would show that his commitment to him. But when, when we were baptized, even if we were to be without sin, I mean, it would just be a good example for all of those who are around us because not everybody's going to be without sin and we'll never be without sin either. But yeah. And that's kind of like, so if I was gonna if I was doing the thing I said where it was me and everybody promised to do certain things, it'd be like me and you. I know I know you really well, and I know you obviously wouldn't do anything bad ever. But like, I would, well, I would still want you to make those promises so that the people that I didn't know as well would see. Oh my goodness, this guy who's so close still had to do it. So I mean, right. Right. It just makes sense that I would as well. Like it's just a very logical thing that that God had Jesus do to make sure that everybody followed in that footstep. Uh, yeah, and so basically that kind of thought process was with me when I was reading this too. And what sticks out to me, um, at least initially is uh, verse 16 where it says wherefore my beloved brethren i know that if ye shall follow the son with full purpose of heart acting no hypocrisy and no deception before god but with real intent repenting of your sins with uh witnessing unto the father that ye are willing to take upon him the name of christ by baptism yea by following your lord and your savior 
down into the water according to his word, behold, then ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. And some of the wording in there reminds me of our prayer on the bread and the wine uh, that we say every month when we take of the sacrament, at least uh, those who are in the church do. And I'll just read that too, but it says, O God, the eternal Father, we ask thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, to bless and sanctify this bread to the souls of all those who will partake of it, that they may eat in remembrance of the body of thy Son, and witness unto thee, O God, the eternal Father, that they are willing to take upon them the name of thy Son, and always remember him, and keep his commandments which he has given them, that they may always have the Spirit to be with them. Amen. And so, what I'm thinking immediately here is, and, and I'm not trying to get into a communion talk, but we have this thing each month that we have this ordinance where we can go and remind ourselves of that baptism that we have, which the the baptism is for remission of sins and a declaration of our intent of our lives of saying that we are taking upon us the name of Jesus. And by following that example that he set and acting like he did and following his example and following the commandments. That's a good point. Just because I was reading that same verse, if you shall have full purpose of heart, acting, um, no hypocrisy, no deception, re- real intent. And I was trying to put myself in that situation in my, in my, during my baptism. And I was thinking, you know, what we just talked about at 10 years old, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I had real intent, mostly because I don't know if I really understood what was moving forward, you know, what what all that would entail. And and I'd like to think, you know, I can't go back and ask 10-year-old me, and I'm sure if I asked 10-year-old me, he'd be smart enough to give me the right answers no matter what he felt. But, you know, he'd say, oh, yeah, I got all full purpose of heart. But there you mentioned real intent, or it's a declaration of our intent. And, and that's where I think I've really been blessed is moving forward, I've obviously sinned a lot. I've done a lot of things that, that came into my life after I was baptized and I've still been drawn away from the Lord and still sinned and still added new sins and, and sometimes not repented of old sins. And, but I think that declaration that I'm willing to follow Christ has been very instrumental in my life because of, of what's happened post baptism. And I wanted, this is, this is one of the reasons I wanted to have Amos on as a guest and is because you hadn't experienced Amos a long time after you were baptized mm-hmm. when we were good friends at the, at a reunion. And, um, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I am putting you on the spot cause you're our guest. So I guess it's your job. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is really a testimony about Todd Smith. So if you ever see him, just let him know he was instrumental <laughs> in Amos Johnson's life. <laughs> does he, um, does he know, has, have you shared the testimony with, um, with Todd? No. I, well, I, well, he's, Todd, he's heard it secondhand you. from like Josh Smith and stuff. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah. So really, I guess this happened uh, like three years ago for me. So when I was 22, so it have been about 10 years after my baptism, I guess. And uh, so after I got baptized, I continued to go to church and do everything. And I had really good, good friends and everything like that. And well, I just kind of went through the motions and I went to church and I did everything, you know, right by appearances sake. You know, I, I, I made good choices. You know, I, I went to college. I had these wonderful friends who impacted my life. They influenced me in a way that let me choose the right things. So if I had other friends, I would have, you know, more inclined to take up smoking or drinking or any 
any of that kind of stuff just because they're so valuable and who you're surrounded by is generally what you end up being like. And so that was such a big part. And the reason that I stayed close to the church was because of those friends and as well as my family. But I just, I went through those motions. I, I believe, I still believed in God, of course, but I, I didn't really care that much. I just wanted to have fun. And, you know, church was okay, but like it wasn't fun and I didn't really enjoy going that much because I just wanted to live my life and enjoy myself. And so time went on and I went to college and things were just pretty normal. And I went to reunion every year. And then I went to the South Crystal reunion and a couple of years ago and I went there and just to have fun, be with my friends. I went through the week and I was having a good time and I enjoyed being there. And then it was like, it was the Friday night service and I, gone in and I had a notebook and I was planning just to draw and doodle during the service and so it would get over quicker and you know I could do whatever and I forgot my pen so I didn't have anything to draw with so I needed something to draw with <laughs> so this is where Todd Smith comes in so I was sitting by Josh Smith or something and um, I was going by Todd Smith and I was like wait he's got a pen so I asked him, I was like, hey, can I have your pen for the service? You know, can I borrow that for a, little, for a minute? And he was like, sure, of course. So he gave it to me and uh, I went into the service and I proceeded to draw and, you know, midway, probably midway through the service, though, I started to pay attention a little bit more. And I, Vernon Lightsinger was preaching and I don't actually remember what he was preaching about or what exactly he was saying, but I do remember that I was starting to feel it. I was starting to feel a prick in my heart and things were grabbing me and I was starting to feel, you know, kind of sad. And, you know, like things he's talking about made me think of me and like my choices and everything and my sins and stuff. And I, I, felt, I felt a little shameful and I stopped drawing and I just paid attention and, you know, it got to a point I felt pretty bad. But the service ended and I was okay. So, you know, we went about to go back to our places, our dorms or whatever. And I went and I gave the pin back to Todd and I gave it back to him. And he said, he asked me, he said, now, what did you use this pin for? Did you use it for good or did you use it for evil? And normally I wouldn't, wouldn't, I would have I don't know what I would have done. I would have just laughed and walked away. But this time it, I was in the frame of mood that I really took this seriously. And I thought, well, my goodness, I certainly didn't use this pen for good. So it had to be for evil. And so I, that's what I told Todd. And then he laughed at me and he said, God loves you. And that was exactly what I needed to hear at that moment. And it was like, you know, the little drop that overflows the cup and it just struck me and I was starting to cry. So I quickly, you know, stopped and I left the building and I had my scripture and actually, uh, Andrew was there at this point and he saw me leave and he actually followed me and, uh, like halfway to where I was going, I, I, was, I stopped and I was like, just leave me alone. Like I need my alone time or something <laughs> like that. And uh, 
And then I went and cried. <laughs> Just for a whole different reason. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but no, so what I did was I went to the little lake over there at Graceland University, and I kneeled down under this tree, and I poured my absolute heart out to God. And this prayer was a full repentance prayer. I I just wanted to lay my soul bare and and ask for God's forgiveness and say that I wanted to change my life again. And I actually think this does relate very well to baptism because I think it's a very similar type of thing. You know, it wasn't it didn't have the symbology of baptism, but I was laying my soul to God and uh, asking for forgiveness. And what was so amazing about this experience was that he answered. And as soon as I laid myself bare to him, I felt his forgiveness. I felt a difference in the way I felt. It was like, it was like a washing over. I just remembered the absolute peace I felt at that moment. It was the greatest thing I've ever felt to this day. It's the most clarity, the most joy I, it was it was amazing it was everything you want and i was so happy when i got that feeling and i was crying and i was on on my knees and uh, i i remember there was a whole bunch of snot coming out of my my nose and like i i was like wiping away with my hands and it was like all over my hands and it was so nasty and i was like i i, I laughed and i thought Man, the Lord has a sense of humor. For, the, for, it, for some reason, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> and, uh, I just, I, I said, or if you don't have a sense of humor, I don't know what you're doing. Because, man, I think you are amazing. And that was my experience. And from that, that point on, it kind of changed my life. I pretty much changed what I was doing. And... I really devoted myself to God at that point and really was on fire. And uh, I guess, you know, being on fire, it kind of comes in waves sometimes. And But that one really lasted a long time, and it's not been until recently that things have started to get more away from me. And um, I just, I'm so thankful that that happened because it had such a, amazing impact in my in my life and it still does and just the memory of it is so fantastic well i I like the way i've always enjoyed the way you share that testimony on our home visits and stuff but to to people today that are in the church and they're like yeah i was baptized and they'll read this chapter and they'll be like yeah i already did that it's it's over like this this chapter doesn't apply to me anymore because i've already been baptized and i can gloss over this one but your testimony is a testimony of someone who had been baptized and still when they laid themselves down with full intent and full purpose of heart, they received that remission of sins. Like they never had before in a way that was way more real to them. <clears throat> and honestly, that felt more like a baptism baptism to me than my real baptism did because I felt like the wash away. I mm-hmm. felt that thing whereas my baptism wasn't very spiritual from what i remember that was and that really felt like it. and while the symbology obviously wasn't there like i had when i was 12 it is actually more meaningful to me than my actual baptism 
Yeah, that that makes me think of a few episodes ago when we had Josh on. He says he was converted at 18, but you know, grew up in the church. And I, I, actually, I don't know when he was baptized, but I'm assuming before then. And so it, it's kind of like I, I, I like that saying of having being converted to the gospel because all of us grew up in the church and it's something that we never really truly experience until we actually decide to apply what we've grown up with in our lives and do something with it. And so I feel like I've had a, you know, post baptism conversion experience. I think Sam is similar and Josh and Amos and I don't know about Andrew, but I, I think that's something that's can be very meaningful to especially the people who grow up in the church of just having some sort of experience where it's like, all right, now, now I'm dedicating my life to you. And I almost feel like that is almost more God's choice than ours. Sometimes like with mine, I, I feel like it wasn't that I brought myself to a point where I was like, yeah, I think it's time that I take this seriously. It was really God saying, Hey, it's about time you start really taking this seriously. Right. And that's what made me, you know, have that experience. It wasn't that my intent really changed. It was that he brought me to a place where I had to, mm-hmm. or where I had to see that I, I needed to change. So what, and I think we asked Josh this too, but, um, I'll toss this up for Amos and then either of you who wants to answer it. When you see other other youth or even, you know, they could be older too in, in the church and they're, you know, they're doing the motions, right? Doing, doing on the appearance, what is good. Um, but no, maybe they've told you, or maybe, you know, you, you know who they are outside of the church circles. How do you, when they come to you and say, how did you actually buy in? How did you get, how did you get converted? What do you, what do you tell them? Do you have an answer? Or when a mother, it's like, how do you, <laughs> um, you know, my kid isn't, isn't interested in church. Why are you interested in church? What do you, what's the, is there a correct answer or, or what do you say? Well, I don't know that there's a correct answer. I think every individual goes through something and you can't force somebody into laying their soul bare or believing in something It has to come from them. And while you know, family and friends and everyone can have such a positive impact on you. They can't actually force you or make you realize anything. And, you know, it has to come from the person themselves. And there's only so much you can do. And the best thing to do is to continue to be that positive influence and the best example possible of the righteous individual. And I really think the more righteous we are, the more impact we have on those around us, which leads to more people coming to terms with it themselves and then making their own choices and their own beliefs become realities. Yeah, it's like the old saying of preach the gospel and use words if necessary. But yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of the- <laughs> uh, you you brought up at the during your testimony you mentioned you know you had a good set of friends that really kind of kept you you honest or at least appearing do you want to know if you were one of them no that? no that's not what i was i was actually gonna wrap you in to one of my testimonies <laughs> of 
when I was well, probably a, a, a junior in, in high school, I went on a caravan and in that caravan, I was struggling with being from Lamoni where, you know, didn't have any church friends except maybe one or two kind of struggling with, will I have friends, you know, if I, if I break away from some of the things they're about, because, you know, getting near the end of high school, people start to do different stuff and, and eventually that split just gets wider, you know, once, Mm -hmm. once you get older, even, even in college. But, um, on that caravan, I had confessed that kind of that, you know, I was worried about, um, having friends and, and being around people. And I said, you know, um, I know I'll always have friends down, down here in independence due to, to the gospel and our shared love of that. But I was spoken to under the influence of the spirit, I believe. And I was told that if I will put God first, then I will always have friends in Christ that I'll always find people who will push me closer to him. And I was at that reunion. I, that you had your experience at. That was before we were friends, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was. But that was the kickoff of when I had already had my experience. I knew what I believed and I had shared my testimony before about feeling God's love. But that was your experience was when I was like, realized that God's um, God's promise to me was was true, which is kind of a weird way to say it. But it was like, no, I can actually make this number one and I know someone else that I'm friends with has this number one too and I saw that promise come true and then we took a have we already taken our road trip to I don't South know the, I can't South Dakota? when exactly we right. might have done it before I think we did I think okay wasn't it like the year before you had. we had done maybe it wasn't I don't know maybe it was that same year anyway yeah but I remember you sharing your experience with me and knowing and and at that time of hearing it for the first time from you and going back to that experience that I had, I was like, that's true. God, God didn't, <laughs> God didn't lie, which, uh, to some of you might be like, uh, duh. But you know, that was a, that was a real thing that I could grasp onto and say, this is an example of what God's done in my life. And, and it started with, you know, him, him working with you and, and your experience. And that kicked off a, a good, a good thing. Got some, even now we're sitting here doing the podcast and, and I don't know if that wouldn't have happened if any of us would. Well, despite, despite my best efforts, (laughs) (laughs) maybe, maybe Andrew and Jason, you would be podcasting it up, but not me. (laughs) I don't know. You're the glue and the glue that holds holds it all together. huh? I was trying to think, I was trying to think of something that glue doesn't hold together, but I can. <laughs> so your <clears throat> baptism, you truly believe came, not truly believe, but the real baptism came almost 10 years after your, right. You, the ordinance was done on you. And not to say that anything you did before that wasn't done under baptism because you had been baptized, but you were born again. Was it, that's, that's what yeah, it was. It was I a born again so. experience. But at the same time, I think that can happen anytime. I think anybody can have that whenever, you know, but I, you still have to have the symbolic baptism. But even now, if I, I think if I went home and I laid myself with sincere, sincere effort and bared myself, I think I could feel it again. Um, it's just, it's just that desire and passion and the like true, humility that you have to have and it's just so difficult to have that i i just think 
the bond and the influence of those around you is so, so valuable. And that's why like camps and reunions and everything is so important for the youth. They need to go to that. And it's not because they're going to go to classes and it's not because they're going to hear a pastor speak. It's not because they're going to hear Doug Smith. It's not because they're going to have like a cool Wednesday night um, activity, you know, that lays, you know, Mm -hmm. it's because they're going to find people that they could be friends with who believe. And that's so undersold and so much more valuable than almost any of it. Well, there's a part here the the very end it's and verse 18 um it's talking about you know what'll happen when you're or after you're baptized and kind of a warning it's, and I'm just going to sum it up real quick. Um and after this should should you deny me, should you deny me, it would have been better for you that you'd not known me and that born again experience of you you were you were taught firsthand by the Lord what his forgiveness was. And now it's almost like you can't deny that forgiveness because even in your own mind you, and, and with my experience with charity, I've thought about that, you know, can I deny this? And no, it was just complete. Um, I could, I think I could, if I really wanted to, I could explain it away and be like, well, just um, unburdening myself and talking made me feel this way. But I absolutely don't think that is the case. And there's nothing that change in demeanor and that washing over was just, Oh, it's unexplainable. And that's something that if I truly wanted to, I could explain away. But the idea of doing that to me as of now is just absolutely awful. Like I would never want to do that because I truly believe that's what happened. And that feeling was just incredible. And I felt God's forgiveness. The way God works is so incredible and it's so individual. And uh, he, he just works in incredible ways. So what comes to my mind is Sam kind of said something about it of you're baptized, but now what, like, what do you do? And, and it talks about it in this chapter of, once you're baptized, now you're on this straight and narrow path. It, it keeps saying that you have to endure to the end, endure to the end, because baptism is a covenant with God, and covenants are supposed to be fulfilled and not broken. And so we're asking God for his blessings, his forgiveness, and all of this, and our end of the bargain is to follow the commandments and to endure to the end and and like you said if you're not going to hold up your end of the bargain it's better if you never entered that covenant what do you think we're trying to endure i think anybody can answer that yeah I, I think following god it, it's a simple premise but difficult in execution because we are specifically built to desire worldly things and not eternal good and just the natural man in us and, and so we have to endure in that we need to set aside our own wants and pleasures and humble ourselves to where we are having an eternal mindset 
where what God wants is what we want and what God asks of us is what we do. I have this uh, example in my mind that I've always kind of thought of, and this isn't an actual conversation, or if it was, it's not one that was made known to me, but um, this is what I think of nevertheless. Uh, up in heaven before um, all that we know is here, I imagine Satan and God talking and um, Satan starting to become rebellious and he's just like, they're well, duh, they're going to obey you, but only because they're with you. I mean, it's only because it's convenient and God's like, well, all right, I'll put them in a dark place. I'll, I'll show you, uh, I'll give them every opportunity to choose what they really want. But I mean, he's put us in this place where it's easy. Like Jason said, the natural man is an enemy to God. I mean, we're in an, we're in a, a bad place. I think we can all uh, agree with that. We're not in where, where God stays. And, and so we're in the sinful state and he's put us here so that we can endure. And if we're still willing at the end of this life to say, yes, God, I want you even through all of this sin that is, um, that I've seen through all the pain and struggle and all of this stuff, I've seen all of it and I still want to be with you. That's what we're supposed to endure. I mean, this life, we call it a probationary state and we're supposed to endure that, that state of probation in which we choose that we want to live by his laws. Yeah. And in verse 27, Nephi is basically saying, all right, so now you're baptized, you're on the straight and narrow. And does that stop? And he says, no, of course not. Because he he also says, um, I'll just read it, I guess. Nay, for ye have not come this far, save it were by the word of Christ with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him, who is mighty to save. Um, wherefore, you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the words of Christ and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. And so that that really does a better job than I can of explaining kind of this post baptism experience. And, and so this really is just an answer to the question of if someone asks, if are you once saved, always saved? And this pretty much says no to an extent, just because there is this work and endurance that we have to have once we have this remission of our sins. I, I have like a really, I, I think of this and, and you guys, yeah, like I agree with you guys completely. And I just, you, you hear about like being on fire and then like a lot of the youth will say they were on fire after camp and then slowly things turned around and things went back to normal. And I just think it's, it's because, well, obviously you go back to your house and you get back into the comfort and you get back into the routine routine that you always had. But it's because all those temptations you had weren't there at camp or reunion or where, wherever. And you changed your lifestyle and you did all these things as God as with God as your focus, instead of, you know, just your comfort and your desires just 
laying waste to all your decisions. I know when I'm at home and totally just doing nothing, I have a very hard time studying my scriptures or, you know, doing really productive things that take effort when I can just sit on the couch and watch a movie or, you you know, any of those things. It's so easy. And every single want and desire I have is, is almost, you know, it's, it's like a lust for the comfort of my own life. Like, you know, I don't have to do any of that stuff. And it's so extremely difficult and the discipline is not there. Like, and it's so impossible. Jesus is the only one who's ever done it, you know, just like had the consistent discipline to do it. And, you know, obviously there's all the great, wonderful prophets who, you know, had extreme, amazing discipline and who did follow that to the T, but for everyday people, we just don't have it. And it's an almost impossible thing to change, especially overnight. And there's no way it's going to happen unless, unless people just get obsessed, you know, you know, like I, I, I follow like a bunch of professional athletes on Twitter and stuff. And you hear this constantly, like they just, we just had to work hard to get where we got. And they had to study in the film room, like for those, those football guys, you know, they study all the time and, you know, they're just obsessed with their work. And it's just like, that's the way it's got to be with uh, God and our spiritual lives. Like if we don't have that and not only that, it's against our very nature. It's just like this impossibly, impossibly hard thing. And I don't really know exactly how to change that unless, you know, something takes us out of our own comforts. So going off that analogy, say a, uh, there are two sets of parents and they both have a boy who is the same age. Um, and both of the families want their boys to be, uh, NFL linebackers. And only one of the boys loves football. They have equal talent, but only one of them loves it. Which one is going to get into the NFL? Right. The, the one who, yeah. yeah, the one who loves it. And uh, that obsession comes when you are in love with um, how many NFL players hate football. There, None? There are there are some? a little <laughs> there, a few, but some? yeah, still. I mean, those are freak athletes, there. right? Right, like unnatural athletes. Yeah, the people yeah. that are in the NFL love football. I could have made it, but you know, I just don't love it enough. <laughs> you just don't love it enough. And I mean, we you talk about discipline and stuff, and discipline comes when you are obsessed with that end goal, and that end goal comes or that obsession with the end goal comes once you've had a little taste of it. So like Amos, with your testimony, you felt a little bit of that repentance, a little bit of forgiveness, a little bit of the love that God has for you. Did that make you fall in love with God just a little bit that day? Absolutely. So that right there, that experience, I'm not saying you have to have one where you're going to Graceland and you're on your knees crying with hands full of snot. Weird example. Yeah, I don't know (laughs) where I got that from. (laughs) But you have to have some experience in which God shows you at least a little bit about 
a little bit of how much he loves you to have any hope. And so that's where it, it comes back to that question. Sam and I have talked about and Jason, I guess, after sermons when it, it more happens to be the mothers or grandmothers where they're saying, well, my my son or grandson or uh, niece or nephew or whatever, um, they they aren't close to the church anymore. And it's just really uplifting to see you. But what do I what do I do? How do I get them involved in church? And I'm like, I, I have no idea if it were up to me. I would be on my couch playing video games. I mean, like if you're up to 12 year old me, sorry. But after I had that experience, well, I fell in love with God. I, I fell in love with of that little taste that I got. And so I became obsessed, like like Amos was saying, that discipline came because of that obsession. And at the, at the same time, um, those NFL or like going off the same analogy, those people, they had to play football to know that they loved it. So mm-hmm. in order to figure out that you love God and to have passion, you have to be immersed in it and you have to be doing it and you have to be doing it. So it's like this, this circle and because you have to love it to do it consistently and all that but you also have to do it to figure out that you love it. And it's just like, it's, it's a stroke. It's a circle. And that's the struggle is you got to get in that circle. I think then comes the, where that helps is the testimony and the belief of either your parents or the people around you. And right. Like the culture and matters. Right. Uh, that's a right. big, big deal. If you yeah. grow up, like grow up watching your dad play, I mean, football, then you know, a lot of the NFL have sons that, they're good at football and their sons eventually make the NFL, but they grew up watching their, you know, or you pick any sport baseball or whatever, where they grew up watching their dads or their moms playing the sport. And they want to, they, they're able to be immersed in that culture, even though they're not nearly as good. Cause they're probably four years old, completely uncoordinated. And all they know is they just want to throw a baseball or a football. And that's where the testimony of Jesus Christ is. How has it impacted those around you? How's it, you know, do your parents buy in? Do your parents study all the time? Do your parents, and, and it doesn't just have to be your parents, but your your friends and, and are they interested in it? Which can be a real struggle because when none of your friends are interested in it, <laughs> how do you? Yeah, your environment, that? your environment matters a lot. I was, I was listening to a podcast. I don't remember which one it was, but there was a story. <laughs> and Not ours. It was Not like, ours. <laughs> it was like some guy was doing had the belief that he was like um prodigies aren't real like people can if they work hard enough or you know they're brought up a certain way they can be prodigies like it's not born it's not you know like it's something you're born with something that you learn and so he had this idea that he was going to practice on his own children and that he was going to make them like chess masters. And so he found, he, he found some woman that agreed to do it with him. <laughs> and so they married and they had these children. And so they had this like, is really interesting, they had like, a, they had a I wonder what kids. that first conversation was. <laughs> they had a couple kids and, um, they decided that their whole life would be revolving around like chess. So chess was what they decided that they wanted their kids to learn how to do and learn how to be really, really good at. And so they played it all the time. You know, they surrounded them with it. You know, they had historical chess, you know, you know, they, they would read about it. They would do everything revolved around it. And so they're, they, ha- they actually had three daughters, I think. And so the first one 
wound up becoming like a national championship at like 19 years old or something. And then the next one at like 17 was, I, I don't remember exactly what happened, mm-hmm. you know, but, but, at chess. Uh, yeah. Good. And then like the next one was even better. And she was like a 15 year old and she was like a grandmaster. And so she was like, it like, it, he proved it. Like his kids, became these things because of the way they were brought up because, and it wasn't that he forced them to do it either. Like Mm -hmm. his, his daughter would actually do it. Like his youngest would do it like super late at night. And his parents would be like, her parents would be like, you know, go to bed, stop, stop Mm -hmm. playing. And she would just keep playing. And you know, it, she was, she was completely and utterly obsessed. And so absolutely the family and the environment and the culture matters so, so much because that's where you learn, especially at those young ages where you're so, you know, vulnerable to the influences of those around you. And so that is, that is a big deal. And obviously my parents at least were not so, you know, obsessed with it that I grew up in this situation where I had to love it. You know what I mean? But I love soccer, and the reason why is because I had four brothers and a sister who all played soccer. And the reason I was good at it is because I was with them, and I saw them, and I watched them do it, and I wanted to be better than them. And so, you know, it's just, it, yeah, that that it's a huge, huge thing. It's a huge issue. It's a huge. So, two questions for you: Where do you rank yourselves among all your siblings and? soccer and two what can the church do about its culture to make sure it's in an environment where children and and visitors grow up um i actually think i'm the best um Um, actually your sister's way better than you (laughs) i think my brother isaiah is bigger and faster and so technically he would be able to beat me maybe but i have more i have more (laughs) skill as it were i gotcha yeah question two question two what can the church do about its culture to make sure? Can we go back to your question? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it, I think there's nothing you can do. Okay. You already no, answered no, no, the no. question. I no, not like there's nothing like my parents can do about me anymore. Okay. That Any, makes anymore. That's future. Like that's it's, it's the future now. Okay. So sure. it's up to like the people who haven't had kids or haven't raised kids and stuff like that. Like they have to, have a culture that revolves around it and they have to be obsessed about it for their kids to be obsessed about it. And that's where the love and the passion starts. And that's how it only grows and grows and grows. Yeah. And I think it's a good question to ask, but ultimately it's not going to be the church that affects the change in every person's life. And by church, I mean going to church every Sunday and Wednesday and it's going to start in the homes. It's going to start with your families and how are you interacting on a day-to-day basis? How are you interacting with others and each other? And what are you doing as a family to cultivate this love for God? Are you studying together? Are you going on missionary trips? I I, I don't know what, whatever it may be. And that doesn't, yeah. That doesn't mean like sheltering them from the outside world either. It just means right. like, so Get a buy in. yeah, Get a yeah buy just, in. just buying it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. 
right. It's not. It is not an episode without Sam's <laughs> phone going off. Phone yes. going off. Wow, you've got a gag going already. So this is qu- <laughs> this is question number three, and this is for everyone. So this is from a listener. Um, we want to thank him for his comments. He's on the list of guests too, so we're excited to when he's able to get here. He's he is now. He's his now. No, he is now. If on you the give list. us a question, you're on the list. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> not necessarily, but give us questions. <laughs> that shouldn't deter you. That should excite you. So his question yeah. is: Do you think the reason the people of the Book of Mormon were accepting of Jesus more than the Jews were is because he came to them as the Jews thought he would, meaning he ascended out of the heaven? as a man, and immediately was doing work with the people, whereas he came as a baby to the Jews. So I think, boiling that question down, I know if you're listening along, that might be harder to or tell, but basically, the Nephites and Lamanites living in the New World saw Jesus descending out of the heavens and doing miracles and then ascending back up. Kind of hard to deny that some sort of... Well, didn't they have, they had like the prophecy and everything... Yeah. And he did it exactly the same way yeah. as that prophecy. Right? But then on the other side of the world, you had the people in Jerusalem who he came to them like in prophecy where he was born in Bethlehem. He walked up. You have Isaiah 53 where they talk about what will happen to him. He's killed. He's resurrected. And still people aren't accepting of him as savior. So I'm going to toss that out. Um, is that why do you think the people in Jerusalem were more, or the people in the New World were more accepting of Jesus as a Savior than that of the Old World? There was also some people who didn't accept it, though. I'm sure, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. There was. I don't think it necessarily says those. Um, it says they have the 200 years of goodness after after he comes to the Americas. But there's no. There's I guess no they were rights. more accepting though, because they had like a whole. Uh, uh, as a yeah, as a percentage, like a, almost they a were nation. More, Accepting, but I don't know if there were people that denied. So, what were you, what were you going to say? Andrew? I was going to. So when when we say I was let down or you were let down, we're talking about our expectations, right? And and is that a feeling you really for for personally? I guess me that when I am let down, I feel it more in my heart than my head. You know, uh, when I get expectations for something, I I feel it more in my heart, and I feel like this is this is really good example to why Satan wants to grab hold of our hearts. And, and maybe he doesn't do it by making us love evil things. Maybe he does it by allowing to uh, allowing us to, or putting these expectations in our mind that, that build up a wall between who we think Christ is and who he really is. And I think we see that with the Jews and, and then in, in contrast with the people of the Americas is that, their expectations were both met uh, or weren't met both times. Obviously Jesus fulfilled prophecy and promises both places, right? He was still the Messiah in Jerusalem as he was in the Americas. And yet because of him meeting the expectations, that seems to be really the only difference in, in like retention or an acceptance. And so we have that scripture that says the Jews were would have been the only. I should have gotten this. I've talked about it since I've heard this question. It's in Second Nephi. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's in Second Nephi, but it says the Jews would be the only people would have been the only people to have crucified their Messiah had had he come to anybody else. And I've always wondered about that. And like, are the Jewish people just so wicked that uh, it doesn't make sense to me that 
he would single out like group A as opposed to group B. But I feel like he was talking about people, maybe not specifically Jewish people, because there were Jewish people that accepted him. He was talking about people who had these expectations built up in their own hearts and minds that were different to what or to who Jesus really is. And so that brought on a new light of just way of looking at that scripture. But I think that's that's probably why. I mean, to the question, yes, I, I do think that's why he was more accepted because he met their expectations. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was thinking along the same lines. Just, you know, the Jews had all the prophecies and they had all the similar things. You know, they had a similar preset. I mean, not exactly, but they knew he was coming and they, but they had made up their own minds already what that was going to look like, you know, like they thought he was going to lead them to a revolution against the Romans and all that stuff. And he just did not match their expectations exactly like Andrew said. And that I think there's a lot of different reasons that would have happened. Like, you know, they had these prophecies for a long, long time in throughout the generations. And they just got, you know, a little bit Adam since, you know, and they just perverted them every little by little, you know, and, and then by the end, they had totally different expectations and their hearts were not, you know, at that point where they could change and see it any other way. And so that's exactly what led them to not believe. I think as for the Nephites, I mean, I, I don't know exactly, obviously you don't know, but their expectations were set at uh, the right amount and exactly what happened is how they knew. Like they, were, they didn't have these expectations that were set in stone so much and, or at least a wrong interpretations that were set in stone. And so they could accept it. And of course that would make all the difference. There's two things that, there's two things that stand out to me, both both to your points. Um, the first one is you read the Old Testament, and and we may have talked about this before, but I just did a quick scripture search on RestoredGospel.com for the name Jesus Christ. Pops up four times in the Old Testament of the Bible, all in Genesis, all in the inspired version. It's Genesis 6 through 8, I believe. I think there's, it's twice mentioned in 7. And so you know that at least then the Old Testament would have had and this doesn't necessarily speak to the Messiah because no, that wasn't the first thing. But the Nephites had been expecting him very plainly from Nephi's vision of how he would come. His name would be Jesus, the name Jesus Christ, where Jesus is mentioned tons of times in the Old Testament of the Book of Mormon. We've already covered it a bunch of times now, and we're only in Second Nephi. The second thing is, and I may be way off base here, is to the point that the Jews in the Old World, it speaks, I think, again, this could be off base, It speaks to humbling yourself and God humbling you, two different versions, because you had a people in Jerusalem who had persecution. The Romans had come in, taken over. Jesus came to them. Some of them accepted him. Many of them did not because he didn't overthrow the Romans, just like you said. Then you had, so you had an instance there where the Jews were told to humble themselves. The people were told to humble themselves. They didn't necessarily do it. They killed their Messiah. And the scripture you were talking about, Andrew, was in 7-7 seven, seven, of Second Nephi. And then in the New World, you had a people where God completely destroyed their life, 
basically like it says only the the more righteous of them. It says almost all of them were wicked, but only the more righteous of them were left. Cities were taken down into the sea. Cities were burned. Cities were, you know, just destroyed with either volcanic ash or or whatever. Um, there was darkness. No one could light anything. There's no way, you know, you couldn't see anything at all. They had been completely humbled, completely stripped of anything that allowed them to cling on to their old ways almost. And then you hear the still small voice that says, here's my beloved son here. And Jesus descending from the sky. And those two, you have one, one side. I, I think that speaks to, and Andrew knows more about this than, than I do, but the whole humble yourself thing. And we may have talked about this, not on the podcast, but the whole conundrum or what's the word I'm looking for? Not paradox, paradox of, yeah. of the word yeah. humble yourself. Cause it's really hard to humble yourself because even when you try and humble yourself, you're thinking, oh, wow, I'm doing really good because I'm not thinking, you know, I'm so humble right now. But that situation and and I don't think that I think it's possible to, to humble or humble yourselves like many of the Jews did when they accepted Jesus, his apostles and his disciples. But then I think it speaks to if you don't humble yourself, you know, in quotes, here's how God's going to humble you, because this is the only way if you're you're so stiff necked that. This is the only way he can get to you. So I don't know. I, here's a the follow up to him. And we're going to be really quick because the episode is already really long. But how do each of you imagine Jesus coming back? Like I imagine him coming down out of the sky. Hey, just like he's talked about in Nephites. And if he just appeared one day at, you know, if he served me my fries at a Burger King and then <laughs> um, that might be a weird analogy, but. You know, I would I would probably be in the it same would boat. Break as my the- expectations. <laughs> <laughs> I actually kind of have. Ex- I've always imagined him as wearing like a, a like a cap and jeans, and then like I don't know, like a flannel or something. Lumberjack. <laughs> That's what I imagine him wearing, and <laughs> and uh, the modern times, I guess. But, so you, so you don't imagine him coming out of the sky on his return? Well, no. Well, I thought. Well, doesn't it say he comes in like the thief as a thief in the night? Like yeah. I never yeah. really thought yeah. that he would come from the sky because he of- could come really fast <laughs> in the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't mean, maybe right, but I didn't. I've never imagined like seeing him as you know descend per se. I I had thought of him coming from the sky until yeah, that's two votes for mine. Amos <laughs> looks like you're wrong. Don't no. worry, Amos. I'm on your side. <laughs> <laughs> no, until my dad started having this big whole thing about us being just a, a mere really copy of the Jewish people from the old Testament. And so then I was like, well, if they made the mistake, then we can make the mistake too. And then if Jesus is coming again, there's definitely a possibility. A lot of people have these expectations of who he is and he's not going to meet them. So I was like, well, best just to not come with expectations, then he's going to come. And that's all that I really know. I don't know how. Yeah, really, that's the thing is I think we're almost more cynical today of kind of how the Lord works to where if someone that we knew in the church was growing up and, you know, Jesus had never come yet. And if say it was still modern times, but Jesus had never come and I said it earlier off the podcast, but if like it was Samuel and he was just growing up, old Sam just chilling. And then all of a sudden, like halfway through his life, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, God sent me. I'm going to rule over you and I'm going to save you from your sins. And it's just like, I don't think we would believe him for a second. 
And there might be some who would be like, all right, I I see what you're doing. And, And some of that would come through the fruits of what he would do. But yeah, it it would be hard to get over and and their scriptures of them saying like, Oh, the carpenter's son, like why, why is he from Nazareth? Yeah, exactly. It's like, we've known you this whole time and now you're just telling us this. And so I, I definitely understand why they would be so confused and so accusatory and denying all this. And it would seem like heresy if Sam started saying he was the son of God, you know? Yes, it would be. Especially, okay, because because we know Sam and because we've seen him fall, you know? I'm not right. saying that Sam's a bad guy or anything. Exactly. But because of their expectations, they had a picture of what a perfect person would be like. And because Jesus didn't meet that, even though he was a good kid, I mean, uh, he wasn't doing anything bad, obviously. Right. Like, it, we, even the... Priests and people of his time were like, yeah, this is probably a great kid. And then once they, he said he was the savior, then they're like, hold on. All right, let's examine you to my expectations. And that's where they fell short because they weren't looking at you compared to uh, Isaiah 53. They were saying, well, uh, this is what my picture of Jesus looks like and you don't yeah. fit it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know what you're, what, we expect Jesus to do when he comes back. But if our expectations are that he's going to do a very specific thing and then he doesn't do it, I mean, we're going to miss it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll miss him just to, yeah. Ooh, even deeper, <laughs> just to wrap this whole question up and episode up. What do you think of just in a sentence? What do you think of the question of, do you think the Jews miss Jesus because he came to them like he did? And the new world only got him because he came to him like they did. I would tend to agree with that assessment. Uh, there's just too many variables. I have no idea. Yeah. Don't want to ruffle any feathers. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, the Nephites had it easy and the <laughs> Jews were bad. <laughs> had it easy sitting in the dark for three days. I think, it, yeah, I think it has a lot to do with, the the condition of their hearts and the Jews weren't to the level of desperation that a lot of Nephites were in the New World. Yeah, a lot which, of pride. Which too. comes back to the baptism thing, and the uh, maybe not baptism, but personal testimony thing about God doing something in your life. And oh, it's the your, Nephites were all baptized. And it, <laughs> and it's your. Uh, but so were the Israelites. We didn't get well. I only said ooh because we didn't get to the part where maybe they Jesus w- comes back and he says the the Lamanites, your brethren, have been baptized even though they didn't. But that can be an episode for another. They need to be rebaptized. When mm-hmm. Jesus came back, he rebaptized everybody. Right, but he says also that the Lamanites have been baptized. Oh, right. Even yeah, though yeah, they yeah. didn't know it because of the. Well, we'll oh, get, yeah. we'll get to that yeah. later in this. Very interesting. Oh, sorry, jumped in. Okay. We'll have you back on in saying, about a hundred episodes when we get to thirty. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you'll be on before that. Yeah. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. No, no. I I think the point was gone. Is that all right? That God's doing something in your life, and it's up to you to respond to it. But God's going to do something in your life, and and uh, like you said, with the humble yourself versus God humbling you, the uh, instances we have where God humbles you, uh, definitely more proven. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Definitely. I mean, you, you got to humble yourself. You, you have to humble yourself one way or the other. Um, mm-hmm. Well, 
again, we want to remind our listeners to to question, to comment, to offer criticisms. We are... Especially for guests. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we love hearing them. And maybe one day we could just do an episode on questions. Not that we'd have all the answers, but that'd be a, that'd be a fun episode. Again, we want to thank Amos for coming on the show. This won't be the last time he's on, I'm sure. We'll get him on a, on a couple episodes coming up. So um, thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Please like and subscribe. Smash that a, like button. Don't be a Pharisee. <laughs> <laughs>